Hi, everybody. This is Rizwan Chaudhry, and you are listening to the Field Finish podcast sponsored by Appyjack, the show that shares expertise in all aspects of injectables, vaccines, and aseptic field finish. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Omer Ahmed, who is Chief Strategy Officer at Nexus Pharmaceuticals. And today, the topic is global supply chain management and capacity planning. So, Omer, it's nice to meet you. How are you? Thank you, Rizwan. Pleasure to be on. I'm doing good. How are you, yourself? Oh, very well. Thank you very much. Now, before we start talking about global supply chain management, which is obviously a huge topic at the moment, would you mind giving listeners a quick overview about yourself and the company? Sure, sure. So Nexus Pharmaceuticals was founded in 2003. We are a specialty generic and injectable company. That's our specialization. We really try to work on first-to-market generics as well as innovative products to improve hospital flow and just try to be a pillar overall in the injectable hospital market space. We've recently expanded quite a bit, most notably a aseptic fill finish facility in Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin, with the capability to do both vials, pre-filled syringes, other dosage forms, as well as lyophilization capability, which we've seen as very important globally. So we're really excited to bring that online. It's been a project about four years in the making, but it's been a great journey for us. It's a big question to start off straight away. What can we expect in the future regarding outsourced pharmaceutical manufacturing? So we're not starting with a little question. We start with a big question straight away for you. No, I mean, it's the question that's on everyone's mind. There's not probably a company in the global marketplace of any size that's not using outsourced pharma in one way, shape, or form. And we continue to see utilization be compressed as more and more big pharma traditional players have spun off sites and now those become standalone outsourced, whether it's fill finish or packaging or what have you. So I think the biggest thing that everybody knows was the COVID vaccines. And as that continues to use up a lot of the supply, both on fill finish as well as containers, I imagine for probably at least the next two years, we'll continue to face an uphill battle both from a supply chain product side, as well as overall capacity. There's a lot of new projects going on around the world, but as everybody knows, those take time not only to construct, but also to get regulatory approval. So I think we'll continue to see headwinds as we reach through 22 into 23. Uh, We are bringing on capacity. Other folks are bringing on capacity. So we think there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But again, that just assumes that there's not the next virus or another variant that can at any time put a big stranglehold on what's available for pharma in general. So what is the consumer demand pushing for more syringes? A lot of what we've seen is due to the labor shortage, especially here in North America. There's a huge very well-known problem in the healthcare sector of just not enough labor, whether it's nurses, pharmacists, pharmacy techs. We've seen this push by large hospital systems to improve patient flow by basically taking the human out of it. If we can deliver ready-to-use products so nurses and pharmacists don't have to spend time formulating, drawing up, that's really what they're looking for. Because although usually these products have a higher price tag, it's more than made up for in the reduced labor, as well as allocating labor in other ways that's not necessarily the delivery. And we saw it both with the vaccine, as well as just products in general. Once you bring it in a ready-to-use syringe form, it's so much easier to administer. So although patient adherence isn't as big of an issue sometimes, syringe definitely acknowledges that part, as well as just improving hospital flow in general. So a lot of customers are asking for what's the next product we can get in a pre-filled syringe. And you mentioned the pandemic there. So 
what were the issues that came out from the COVID-19 pandemic and what could we have learned from that? We weren't ready. That's probably the number one issue you could see. I don't think it's in our lifetime, we've never seen anything like it. And I think we took a lot for granted as a society in general that our medication will always be there, but we were already running pretty thin. Capacity worldwide was expanding, but so was our population, so was demand, especially as you see in the developing countries, the demand for higher levels of healthcare was rising quite a bit. So while Western Europe, the US, North America was relying on more outsourced pharma, whether it's India, whether it's China, they themselves have an increasing burden on them. So now on top of that, you add in a pandemic, which there was not necessarily a globally organized effort. I know who tried, but there's a lot of different companies out there working in different governments, to be quite frank. And a big push for reshoring that manufacturing as part of national security. We saw that those don't necessarily align with a global approach to ensuring that there's pharmaceuticals available. So that kind of, I won't call it misshapen, but kind of individualistic approach didn't help the industry overall because pharma is such a globalized industry. So just because we say we have created a fill finish facility here in the US, well, a lot of those components are coming from Germany, but Germany wants the filling lines for themselves. So it just became this kind of push and pull globally that really, I think, hampered the response. I think if we would have utilized capabilities and worked better cross-functionally, we could have not had those initial issues, which was not enough vaccine for everybody. I think we really could have addressed that if there was a more comprehensive approach, which I know is hard during a pandemic. Maybe that's a lesson learned. Talking about lessons, what else do you think we have learned from the pandemic? That the components are a big issue, whether it's stoppers, filling bags, vials, syringes, those kind of lowest common denominator became our biggest issue. We had more than enough viral vector. We just didn't have a place to fill it. And just available capacity, there's almost no idle time. To run an aseptic facility, you have to keep it on 24-7. So in that sense, almost everybody running a fill finish facility wants to keep it busy. So when you don't have any lag, when the government hasn't necessarily put in, we'll call it layaway time that's available to them, you get into these issues because you can start moving other batches, but those are also critical drugs. So understanding that having aseptic fill finish line time itself is a resource and paying for that resource on top of trying to strengthen both syringe, vials, stoppers, trying to really strengthen the bottom line of container closure is really necessary to ensure that we can appropriately respond as quickly as possible. How adequate is the software out there to help you sort of maintain the flow of the components and and do the manufacturing and make sure that you are utilizing the time well? Yeah, there's definitely no shortage of available software. It's out there. I think what the shortage is, is sometimes a will to change how things are being used right now. A lot of times, especially during a pandemic, it's okay, how do we just do this as fast? We don't invest necessarily in the systems because the systems sometimes aren't meant to be changed on a dime. But I think there's also a global issue of we have the systems in place, but are we using them to our full capability? Are we fully automated and kind of how we are approaching it? Some of the larger companies, yeah, that's true. But it's usually for legacy products that have been being made for a long time. So you've established a good system. Are you able to utilize the software at the turn of a dime, right? When we're creating new products, whether it's an ERP system or a quality management system or an overall SCADA system for a facility that can run automatically, are we able to implement those changes as quickly as possible, knowing that IT itself is a resource and they are doing, you know, they have a day job. Can we bring them in to update these systems and utilize them to their full capability? How is the pharmaceutical supply chain evolving and what changes can we expect going forward? 
I think reshoring is probably the biggest word that everybody is talking about. I think every country that has the means is trying to bolster domestic manufacturing because they don't necessarily want to be beholden to any other country when it comes to scarce supplies, i.e. vaccines. So that's been the biggest push that'll continue to be, whether it's signing agreements to make syringes and vials, just the glassware, whether it's fill finish capability, whether it's starting material. I think that's what you're going to see a lot of government investment to ensure that there's enough resource available so you're not beholden. But the biggest issue right now is we spent you know, the better part of two decades offshoring a lot of this production. And now at the turn of a dime, we went on to reshore it, which can be very difficult because we've come to rely on the global supply chain. But that's the biggest difference I think you'll see is a lot more capacity coming up domestically in the developed world. While the developing nations, especially India and China, continue to expand domestic manufacturing, you'll definitely see it's just a question of how long will people remember as well. It takes five years to put up a facility usually. So will five years from now, when we've hopefully forgotten about coronavirus, will people continue on with that investment? Or will you just see a bunch of mothballed facilities and then all of a sudden when there's the next pandemic, people are trying to restart them? So that vision is going to be interesting to see because the allure of foreign, many times inexpensive pharma resources, it can be very alluring. So it's going to be interesting to see how that continues on. Leading off on that, though, does that mean that there will be different types of facilities being built for the future to reflect that, though, so that your investment isn't maybe so huge in the first place or is more adaptable to changes which progress in the future? I think as we get more technology focused, I think we've seen the success of Viral Vector and we can continue to see expansion there on that availability as well as different filling technology because they've shown their value over this pandemic. The faster you can get the product to the people, the better off we are. So I think we'll continue to see expansion on those kinds of technologies that A, require less human labor and B, are actually safer for the patient. That's really going to push. I think you'll see some legacy facilities changing. And I know the US government has invested a lot in some of the domestic facilities, but I think there'll be a more technology being used which is a good thing because a lot of the aseptic facilities we've seen were unchanged for 20 years because it worked. If it wasn't broken, don't fix it. But I think now we have that push to really improve and create more efficiencies throughout the supply chain. And my final question today is that what risks exist today within a globalized full finish environment? As we sit here right now and there's so much turmoil in Europe, there's definitely that added supply chain risk that you won't be able to get supplies in time because we know we're a very time sensitive overall industry. If you don't have one starting point, you can't do anything. And sometimes you need to make the start material, get it to the fill finish facility. It's a much longer timeline than people I think give it credit for. So the risks are we can't continue to do business as we used to. We know we can't rely on any single country or any two countries. We need to diversify because we have no idea what might happen there. A shutdown in India, for example, they stopped the export of key starting materials. So if we're not getting them from India, where are we going to get them from? I think that biggest risk exists is that are we going to have that sense of urgency two or three years down the line when really some of the big bills are due and we really have to assess as a society, do we want to continue to invest in pandemic preparedness and generally speaking, a strong domestic supply chain for fill finish? I think that's going to be the biggest risk is people will forget about it and then we'll fall into our old ways and not really see that change. And they're putting a lot of the onus is on industry, for example, whether it's on the container closure side or fill finish. You know, the private companies are the ones that are actually pushing a lot of this forward. 
So if there's a big profit incentive or if there's not a big profit incentive, will you continue to see that? And I think those are the biggest risks as we try to deglobalize a little bit or at least reshore a lot of our capabilities. I know I said that was the last question, but you just made me think of one other question, actually, which is we've talked sure. about the risk, but what are the opportunities then within a globalized full finish environment? So we've talked about the risk, but what opportunities do you see out there? I think there's definitely opportunity to be had, especially from a quality standpoint. Generally speaking, the new facilities that are being built are just of a higher quality and consumers are becoming more educated, whether it's the hospital system, whether it's governments, regulatory bodies, they are becoming more and more interested in how the product is being made. Just because it's being made this way for 15 years doesn't necessarily mean that was the right way to do it. So I think there's a lot of opportunities for those organizations that really embrace the new technology and trying to push forward. And overall, in most of the Western world, there's a huge labor shortage. Those companies that are able to get to more automated, whether it's continuous manufacturing or inline robotics or things of that nature, I think those are the ones that are going to succeed and able to keep up with the global economy. I think that's really the opportunities you see there, because whether it's China or India or even Africa, I think the Western world can start to become more of an exporter of products as our cost of goods start to go down and we embrace uh, more efficient packaging and processing versus kind of how we've been doing it in the past. Well, Omar, thank you very much for your time today. Oh, that was really interesting. Now, if people want to know more about Nexus Pharmaceuticals, where can they go and get more information? You can go to our website, www.nexuspharma.net, and you can learn all about what where our investments are for the future and kind of globally where we think the market's headed. Brilliant, Omar. Thank you very much for your time. And there you go, listeners. I hope you found that interesting. I certainly did. And you can learn more about Phil Finish and other topics by visiting the podcast website, which is philfinishpodcast.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time, stay well and bye-bye. Appyject is advancing Phil Finish technology to serve the world. We are bringing together blow fill seal and injection molding technology so that pharmaceuticals and vaccines can be fill finished in single dose pre-filled injectors at any scale. Copyright Appyject. All rights reserved. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the podcast belong solely to the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the views, thoughts, and opinions of the host, sponsor, speaker's employer, or any other organization or individual mentioned.